Welcome to CTO Confessions with TC Gill. Brought to you by IT Labs. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This episode of CTO Confessions is brought to you by the one and only IT Labs, providing technology leaders with purpose-driven development teams for high-performance, innovation and productivity. What more could you want? Please think of us like tech leaders' favourite off-the-shelf service, providing quality, high-performing teams off that shelf. And your host today is me, TC Gill, IT Labs Chief Talking Officer, and I'm speaking from London, UK. And in this episode, we're talking to a member of the UK Parliament's House of Lords. That's right, I'm honoured to speak to a peer of this prestigious house, to someone who's passionate about tech and sits on various boards related to technology. So let's not delay, let's get Chris Holmes into the space to share his enlightening stories and knowledge. Welcome, Chris. Welcome to CTO Confessions Podcast. Great to be with you. Brilliant. So tell the audience about yourself. What do you do and who do you work for? I'm extremely fortunate to be a member of the House of Lords, which is the upper chamber of the UK Parliament. So equivalent to, say, the Senate in the United States, to give it some context. And prior to that, I had a number of roles, both in sport and in the law. And since being very young, technology has always been a thread very much running through all of that. Yeah, that's fantastic. And um, so just as a, a side note, what, what do I call you? Because I, I was I was trying to find the right terminology. What what would somebody like me refer to you as a, as a peer of the House of Lords? Always Chris. Always Chris. Love it. <laughs> I like your style. Uh, thank you for that, Chris. Um, so I want to bring a topic in because this is something that we spoke about offline. Um, and and it's kind of related to technology as well. This is that, uh, you know, to speak about, um, you know, your eyesight, because I, I know, you know, you, you're a warrior in my eyes um, in, in what you've achieved. I mean, do you want to tell the audience a little bit about your history around that? Certainly. It's, it's interesting. There's probably two elements that got me interested in technology. The first was when I was 12 years old and I got a ZX Spectrum. Mm. 48k for those who are interested in that detail rubber keyboard not the spectrum (laughs) plus just to be clear obviously got it by convincing my parents i wanted to code and program and all that stuff but as everybody else out there knows of similar age to us that uh we just wanted to play games on it and great games they were to to give people nostalgia manic minor jet set oh yeah (laughs) horace goes skiing tremendous 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 stuff but also i did do a bit of programming to be fair and i really got interested in that sense of what one could use technology for and i couldn't have known at that point that but two years later i went to bed one night and when i woke up i'd lost my sight and not expected at all and the thing that got me through that was really the combination of humans family Mm. friends teachers swim coaches around me so the human dimension and the technology dimension so i have my school books on cassette tapes now anybody listening to this under the age of 35 (laughs) will have not a clue what a cassette tape is uh 
to give some context, it's a very, very, very disappointing version of iTunes. <laughs> and I was able to do my work on a really basic laptop with very rudimentary speech software on it. So I taught myself to touch type so I could put the information in. Mm. And the speech software would read whatever was on the screen. And it was clunky for sure. Mm. It was quite tinny, but it was sufficient. And sufficiency shouldn't be underrated in society because it didn't need to be magical or mystical. It was that sufficiency that enabled me to go back to my mainstream comprehensive school, mm. to do A-levels, to get to university. And now decades onwards, it's still, you know, certainly far advanced versions, but it's still that assistive technology which enables me to do my job in Parliament and in all the other roles I'm involved with. And to be honest, though the term assistive technology is used for technology which assists people like myself with particular needs, I really think it's probably the acid, acid test for all technology. If there's technology that isn't assistive in some way, what is it doing here? And so was, was the interest in technology as you kind of move through your, through your kind of uh, your journey, your personal journey and your career journey, was that what, what kind of got you interested in technology? Because I know you, you, you're interested in technology now in the position you're in. Yeah, it was seeing at that very early age, firstly, how entertaining, how engaging technology could be but then how enabling, and yes, that I wouldn't have even known the word at the time, how empowering and how inclusive technology could be. Now, it's interesting because of, you know, years later, moving on, none of this is inevitability. Technology and technologies can be the exacerbators of exclusion yes. and can create new areas of exclusion in these new environments in which we are creating. So it's not an inevitability, mm. but it is a possibility that with this power that we have, with these new tools, and they are just tools, people should conceive of new technologies, be it machine learning, be it other elements of AI, be it distributed ledgers and blockchains. Mm. They are phenomenally powerful potentially, but they are just tools. They're tools in our human hands. It's up to us as to how we deploy them, how we use them. And mm. do we use them to drive human potential, social, economic, psychological growth, or do we not? Because it's down to us. Yes. And if, and if there are, we'll come on to this, aspects of technology that are not working for that common good, public benefit, human-centric purpose, then it's down to people, it's down to humans. The technology, as yet, doesn't have a mind of its own. And we're a long way away from mm. GP, general purpose, AI. And even yes. when that comes around, truly, we have more than a hand in the play. Yeah, I, I love this idea of, of, of making sure that that, that technology has that our awareness of that kind of double-edged sword uh, uh, and how we use it. 
for our audience, um, not everybody's familiar with the kind of work that uh, politicians do, uh, what what uh, peers in the House of Lords do. Um, so just give us a kind of brief discussion of the work that you do within the House of Lords in the UK. So I'm really fortunate to be in the House of Lords and our role, my role as a member of the House of Lords is to scrutinise all of the legislation which comes in front of us. That's all of the legislation which has to go through the House of Commons, through the House of Lords, and ultimately the Queen gives royal assent to a piece of legislation. That's when it becomes an act of Parliament, a statute. Mm. Now, our role is to scrutinise. Our role is to suggest amendments, changes, improvements to legislation. Our role is to suggest a pause in certain parts of legislation. But the key point is, that is what the role is. Mm. Our role is not to overturn the democratic will of the House of Commons. We are additive. We are alongside that. But ultimately, it's the democratically elected members of the House of Commons who determine that legislation. So our role really, and how I see it, is being a critical friend, looking to add, looking to improve, looking to assist that legislative process, particularly from the areas of expertise and knowledge that various members of the House of Lords have. So we've got people who are experts in health, in education, in defence, in security services, you know, the full, full range of people. And I think it's incredibly positive to have that experience and that expertise going into the legislative process but crucially, again, with no sense of us stopping, turning over or preventing the will of the House of Commons, the democratically elected chamber in the United Kingdom. Yeah, I love that. It kind of uh, the word additive to the process uh, really resonated with me. And uh, I think that's a wonderful uh, kind of description of it. So some of the, you know, obviously this is a, a podcast around tech leaders and te technology. Um, so. Do you think technology is discussed enough within the kind of parliamentary and House of Lords system? In many ways, Parliament is a microcosm of society. I don't think technology is discussed enough in broader mm -hmm. society. Thus, it's certainly not discussed enough in Parliament. And all too often, again, in broad society and in Parliament, it's just understandably, in a way, it's discussed in terms of the potential harms, the negativity, the dangerous aspects of technology. Now, of course, all of those need to be discussed and understood. There needs to be an understanding of the risks as well as the potential rewards, the burdens as well as the potential benefits. But I really believe that in Parliament and across broader society, there needs to be a much broader, mm. open, inclusive discussion and debate around all elements of technology and what the potential is so people are included, feel yes. part of it. Yeah, why not? I can answer the question, what's in this for me? Nothing wrong with that question. You know, mm. There needs to be an honesty around that. 
And then with that public discourse, if you will, we're far more likely to get optimal results from that combination of the human talent and the technology. I think for me, a good example, a few years ago, when IVF, introverted fertilization, in vitro fertilization first came about. Now, what could be more terrifying? What could be more science fiction than the thought of creating human life in a laboratory test tube? Mm. Terrifying. We must stop this. This is the end of civilization and humanity. Mm. Why was that a success? Why is it seen as a really positive aspect of our society and our humanity? Because decades ago, a colleague of mine, Baroness Warnock, launched the Warnock Commission, which is exactly what I've been talking about. It was this public debate, this public discourse around the whole question of IVF. Mm. That's why it's a success. To take another example, GM foods. I'm not suggesting GM is good or bad at mm. this point I'm making now. I'm suggesting the reason why there is a real antithesis and negativity towards it is because there hasn't been anything like a public debate and public engagement yes. with all of that. Yes, I love that. The tra- it's kind of transparency and a conversation around what's been discussed. I, I love this. So the, the question, the follow-on question I have from this, because I, I love this idea of informing and getting people's voices in, you know, whether they're dissenting or positive, what have you. How, how do you think we can get technology discussed more openly uh, and also include the kind of legislation that's kind of um, trigger legislation that's going to help enhance that in the space? What, what's the key there? I think it's really about highlighting applied technology to some of the most pernicious problems that have dogged our society, our economy. And I say that in terms of not on a national way, Mm. in a global way for decades. So as we currently stand, some of the most effective technology has been put to search engine optimization, Mm. to micro-targeting, to advertising, to marketing. And I don't decry that that's not and hasn't always been an important part of our society. But I would suggest that health, social mobility, economic growth would all, just to name three, Mm. come at least somewhat higher by a galactic distance than many of the current applications. So to paint these pictures for people and equally enable individuals to paint their pictures of how they believe technology can help. Yeah. Or even how they see some of the greatest issues that are either negatively impacting their experience or the things that could positively empower their perspective. 
And mm. when you put it into those contexts, then it becomes real, then it becomes exciting, then it becomes engaging. Mm. And you can very much, in the right way, reasonably excite people as to what we're talking about here. So Chris, is there, is there something uh, in uh, in the pipeline or proposition that will be able to create these kind of uh, contextualized discussions to bring about that kind of emotional charge to make uh, technology make a difference? Let me give you a specific example and I'll move to the general. This year, I've been fortunate enough to judge a number of technology and fintech and talent competitions or contact contests if you will mm. for individual organizations so springer nature you know the organization that has one of the most phenomenal publications on the planet nature the publication that has over the last century and a half had some of the greatest scientific discoveries that we've ever had dna for example mm. they have an internal innovation tournament for the whole organization. It was delightful wow. that they invited me to be one of the judges for this. And they empower and they enable their teams across the business to come up with ideas as to how technology can be deployed, the talent and the technology to solve a problem, to make mm -hmm. things better. And it was brilliant because you saw solutions, all of them incredible, some of them to solve a specific problem, say around a particular process in their business, a really specific, but beautiful and brilliant in the simplicity of that solution, which would say man hours drive growth. Mm. Another one which rolled out across an entire country in which they're operating in, enabling and empowering young people across that entire society. Brilliant. That's one company, but one company on planet Earth. So wow. to move from the specific to the general, what do I think? I think we need to be nothing short of scoping out for this country and through that reaching out to the world, how through the use of talent and technology, we can completely redefine the social contract between citizen and state and through that truly emancipate truly enfranchise truly enable truly empower individual community city country and global economic social and psychological growth and we, we've spoken uh, briefly about the kind of double-edged sword of technology and how it can be, um, it, you know, uh, it can be used in ways which are, aren't always uh, as life-affirming um, and being more generative. Um, are, there, are there kind of approaches within the kind of political space to make sure, te to guide technology companies and their uh, innovations to become more generative as opposed to extractive? There's no question that all technology in that it's in society has a social and economic and a political dimension to it. And it can be taken in a whole series of ways. There's a role for the individual, there's a role for the state. And what's perhaps interesting is that 
many things that are described as innovative, when you look at them, they're really not. And mm. some of the biggest models, the biggest financial successes, if you will, for big tech companies, putting all of that in heavy inverted commas, there's not really much of what one would call innovation in there. Mm. And they are highly extractive models. Some of them far more extractive than open cast mining, far yeah. more extractive. And the reality is they have our data, your data, my data. That's their, that's their product. That's what they take. That's what they use. Mm. Now that's not necessarily a problem if we are included and we understand that and we determine what of our data we are prepared to give them for what purpose, for how long and in what context and whether we believe there should be a remunerative model set up then. You know, we can't possibly do that. Everyone's individual data. Well, of course you can with you know aggregator models, which don't need to be that complicated at all. Of course you can. Mm. But to have a model which simply extracts people's data for the return of what? Mm. Well, consumables. Yeah. Not much more. Whilst at the same time, people are understandably queasy about giving up, as they see it, their data for a health project or program or a city improvement project or program. Now, of course, they should be skeptical. It's right. Skepticism is a jolly good thing. Mm. Never let it tip into cynicism. Skepticism is a very good thing. But it goes back to that sense of the need for a participative public discourse where we are all engaged and understanding what the purpose is and having that purpose clearly laid out for us. And then we decide, do I want to be part of it? Mm -hmm. Do I like what it looks like? Do I agree with that purpose, with that direction? Am I prepared to allow certain parts of certain elements of my day to be put in that for a greater public good? Yeah. Be that, you know, to be as up-to-date as possible for public health, for example, because there couldn't be a greater illustration of don't try and live a privatized lifestyle, your gated community, whatever. When it comes to it, mm. COVID-19 doesn't look at your bank balance, mm. doesn't look at your entry keypad. COVID-19 in some ways is the most open force to cut right through that and it's those kind of things that should really cause us all to stop and think again as to how how we try and do this thing called the human condition as best as we possibly can thank you for that and um yeah i, I think this is the my takeaway from this is is about looking at the technology whether it is you know, what's the per what's this kind of underlying purpose and is it actually kind of making our lives better and uh, or is it just at the behest of 
uh, large organizations to kind of make a profit out of it and, and how is it being used? I think this is an important topic. And on that note, uh, are there kind of movements in the kind of political space to to maybe um, give guidelines to uh, technology companies to to be a bit more, um, I guess, generative about it? Yeah, one, one of the groups I'm involved with as a co-chair in Parliament is the all-party group on artificial intelligence. And very much the purpose of that group is to have this discourse between parliamentarians and the broader community mm. as to what the opportunities are and how to make it, as you say, generative exactly to that point, because that is the opportunity which exists. And it has, as I say, the, the most far-reaching social, economic and psychological consequences, because if you have an extractive model, as we currently do, and there are a number of obvious examples, not only do you have a gulf between people and that organisation, but you also have the sucking up of wealth and thus the possibilities that come from that into a tiny, tiny set of hands. And that's not the way for things to run. I absolutely believe that people should be able to make a profit mm. when they come up with smart, innovative, truly, and transformational things in society. That's genius. Be yes. that in technology, be it in art, science, music, whatever it is, to create something where before in that space there was nothing, be it the gap of a problem, be it the gap waiting for that particular musical note, that's genius. Yes. And you should be able to profit. But yeah. the profit should never come at the cost of being so cornering of and corrosive of that particular market or society. Mm. That's that's not to the benefit of anybody bar a very, very few. So yes, there's a role for individuals. Yes, there's a role for parliaments. Yes, there's a role for government to be right in those conversations, right in those regulations, that legislation. And the regulation, the regulator and the legislative piece of that is about understanding how to enable that competitive, that economic market, but with that inclusive social context as well. Excellent. I love this. I'm, I'm glad you're having these conversations and there's somebody, you know, bringing those, uh, creating those forums to have those conversations. So I think it's really important. So thank you for that, Chris. Um, what I wanted to do is just kind of maybe kind of discuss some of the other work that you're doing, because I have some notes here around, you know, obviously you're the chair on Channel 4 and you do your work within the human rights arena. Uh, do you want to speak to that? Yes, very kind of deputy chair at Channel 4. And again, the reason why it was a real delight to get involved there, I grew up with Channel 4. I remember when they arrived in a post-industrial grey West Midlands. I was only just 11. Mm. And it was like the most brightest, beautiful light switching on. 
And again, I would never have known these words at the time, but it was the light of diversity, ah. of inclusion, of just American football, fabulous, just <laughs> yeah. tremendous, cutting edge, dispatches, mm. the band series later, brilliant, brilliant, mind-blowing, effectively the whole channel going, think, think harder, think some more. Yes. Just brilliant. Then when I was one of the directors on the London 2012 Olympic Games and Paralympic Games, and we were doing the broadcast deal for the Paralympic rights, it's fabulous to lead the team that did that. And we did the deal with Channel 4. Why? All the broadcasters were putting serious cash bags on the table, serious production plans. Why Channel 4? Because Channel 4 offered a vision of how television could present the Paralympic Games, Paralympians and Paralympic sport in a really compelling, transformational way, which completely allied to my strategy and my vision of what we could do with the London 2012 Paralympic Games. Absolutely stunning. Excellent. Brilliant, brilliant television. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it makes me want to go and flick on the television now and watch a bit of Channel 4. That's brilliant. I love that. I say say to to anybody, and we all have these, if you wake up not feeling tremendous, don't want to get out from under the quilt, go online, put into YouTube, Channel 4, Meet the Superhumans 2012, and click on that 90-second marketing film we made the 2012 Paralympic Games. It's Next. in terms of product, it's one of the pieces of work I'm most proud of. It's truly, truly tingle making, thought provoking, energizing, and you will throw the quilt off and you will be up and at it. Wow, that's fantastic. I'm eager. I'm I'm almost uh, wanting to kind of cut this interview short and go and watch that now. <laughs> so thank you for sharing that, Chris. Really inspiring. And, and now coming to your leadership and, and how you role as a leader, you know, from a from a leadership perspective, you're speaking to the tech leaders out there. How do you get the best out of your um, your teams out there? I mean, what, what's your kind of tips and tricks around that? To be it, to be present. To have two ears and one mouth, to very much be there for people, Mm. take the time, don't try and fast forward it, there's no quick route, take the time to understand each and every one of your team and then enable, empower them to give the best of themselves. When we were drawing up the people strategy for London 2012, we obviously understood how significant this was it was the people who would make the games our full-time staff our contracts our volunteers it'd be the people who would make the games for athletes mm. for the media for everybody who would experience them in 2012 and we realized that ultimately we could express our people strategy in just one sentence and that is quite simply what we said to everybody when they came in first day induction we want you to do the best work of your lives. Mm. And it's that that I've taken through. Take the time with each and every team member. What do they need? How can you help them? How can you support them? How can you lead them to do the best work 
of their lives. So Chris, I've got a question here for you. Where do you see companies like IT Labs providing those high-performing teams, teams as a service, sitting in the tech ecosystem, particularly here in the UK? As an accelerant, an accelerant of growth, an accelerant of projects, programs, plans, and through that, an accelerant of possibilities for that individual organization, for that department of state, for us as a country, increased oomph to get to the solutions quicker for the benefit of everyone. So I've got a question here around the growing pace of the companies for, from the position you sit in, uh, Chris. Um, you know, what are the common themes you see maybe are missing or maybe uh, need to be enhanced uh, to help companies grow, uh, especially in the tech space? I think it is that sense and the startup scale up, mega up journey is something particularly in the UK that we need to give so much focus to because we have the most brilliant minds, the most brilliant brains and the most incredible ideas Mm. Yes, coming from our great universities, but coming from high streets, from rural settings right across the country. Sensational yeah. solutions. We're great at that. We're good at startup. But that sense of the scale up and the growth part of the journey, that's where even more focus needs to be got. And again, the two ways to nail that are being so conscious of the leadership and the culture piece at that point and not lose the culture just because you're starting to really feel the pace and the growth spurt at that point. It's the leadership and the culture which will enable smoothing through those processes. That's why when you start the start out, the time to take to think through the leadership and the culture piece and the people piece is well spent at that point. Don't rush it at that point because the effort and the time put in there pays back dividends when you're really into that growth part of the journey because you've set it so well and it will sustain through that. And again, crucially, it's that sense of creating and fundamentally understanding what are all the key elements to have a truly inclusive culture mm, yeah that's that's that's, uh, that's really important i totally agree with you and and on the kind of national level maybe even international level are there kind of any engineering challenges you see uh from your from your position that that maybe need to be addressed or solved on that side of it i think the biggest challenge is to ensure that when solutions are scoped out when particular deployments are rolled out, that there is the real understanding of the capital I of interoperability. Mm. It's effectively the sense of saying, how do we ensure that tech shall speak peace, tech shall speak possibility, tech shall speak potential to mm. tech right around the world and it's like the engineering there 
can have a beautiful, if got right, reverse engineering to help with then the human connectivity, collaboration, co-creation. It isn't just this sense that, and certainly this can happen, and we've seen it through the decades, you can create technology to kill, to eliminate mm. the human race. No reason whatsoever why you can't have tech which reverses back into further enabling humanity, human potential, human positively augmented, human experiences enabled and increased through technology. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for that. And, and now, Chris, coming back to your leadership, you kind of we had a kind of uh, touch point on that earlier on. Um, you described as you, how you like to roll as a leader. What as a leader keeps you up at night? Always worrying about whether I'm deploying my time and my efforts to the right things and the most uh, optimal challenges and opportunities. Always thinking, is that what I should be doing? Is that mm. absolutely where I should be putting my time? So okay. that for sure yeah and and if you kind of come up with a solution or some magical way of <laughs> helping you on that on that uh, uh, area to embrace the struggle and to not try and fight against that to accept that that i think will always be part of the journey and just see it as a positive and to really embrace it and dive into that mm. internal dialogue and not see it as something to be pushed away, but that, that's a good thing to have that. Ah, yes. That challenge within the mix to always question, reflect, be reflective and reflexive, and always understand that just because it's uncomfortable mm. doesn't mean that is to be avoided or squished. Uncomfortability is a key part of the process yeah like it that's great and and for other leaders out there we're going to have a lot of tech leaders on this uh, podcast audience and aspiring tech leaders what what advice would you give to aspiring tech leaders out there um on their journey that might kind of smooth that out have you got an opinion on that believe in yourselves crucially believe in yourselves don't let anybody tell you that you can't or tech isn't for you, or you haven't got what it takes, or you haven't got a particular qualification, believe in it. And if you believe in it, and if you want that, then make it a reality. Get people around you who will support you. Ask people for help. The fabulous thing is generally when you ask people for help, they will help. Right. They believe in it. And even when it feels like you're crawling across crushed glass, mm -hmm. carry on. And it won't be long before there's a moment where it's almost imperceptible, but there'll be an imperceptible shard, not of glass, but of sunlight. And that will always give you that energy to carry on with that journey. Is it easy? No. Is anything of value easy? Of course it isn't, because otherwise it would have no value. But is it a great purpose? Is it a brilliant time to be in tech or going into tech? There's never been a better time to be yes. thinking of going into tech or being in tech because 
it's not about being distanced from being separate from the thing which is the human purpose it's the underpin the enabler the associate the augmenter the mm -hmm. solver the provider of solutions which even a couple of years ago never mind a couple of decades ago would have seemed far beyond what we could achieve is this a great time to be going to technology of course it is thus it's a fabulous time to be alive brilliant i love it it's very ins inspiring and uh, I'm, I'm glad that we're you know, we IT Labs are working in this space as well because we see some exciting innovations uh, with our kind of various partners out there. And and on the note of um, aspiring leaders, um, what about political leaders? Because, you know, we're very fortunate to live in a wonderful country here in the UK with a thriving democracy uh, and, you know, and, and leaders wanting to make a change and make, <clears throat> make a difference. Um, what advice would you give for political leaders, people that are aspiring political leaders? You're right in what you say, and without pretending that anything is that everything is perfect in this country, of course it's not. But you're completely right that we live and are phenomenally fortunate to live in this country at this time, a liberal, open democracy. Is it perfect? Of course it's not. <laughs> but it's not a bad start point to remember that and to build from that and to think, what's my role? What's my purpose? What's my mission? What can I do to try, even if in a teeny way, what can I do to try and make things better? What's my purpose? What's my role? What can I do? How can I play my part? And to political leaders, Ultimately, it seems to me you can either be a signpost or a weathercock. Mm -hmm. And I'm all for the signpost to point a potential direction as you see it, as you call it. People can disagree with that. Of course they can. That's the beauty of democracy. But what you've done by doing that, you've been very clear, candid, honest, open, transparent as to what you believe the direction should be. That's leadership. To truly lead, it has to be uncomfortable, lonely, sometimes isolating. But if you don't feel those things, uncertain, if you don't feel those things, then probably you're not leading. Yeah. That's great. That's brilliant. That's really, really interesting uh, take on leadership and the importance of leadership. And your quote there about, you know, being the signpost is uh, uh, one that really resonates with me, you know, um, to, to set that direction and fight for what you think is right, you know, uh, to add to add your voice to the mix um, and, and direction. And I'm always really curious as to kind of what has uh, helped leaders to where they are, you know, gateway books, maybe speeches, maybe even poems or songs. Um, are there any things that you'd like to share on that front uh, with aspiring leaders out there that have been gateways for you? Sure. And what, what I should say as well is that leadership is not so much about who's the prime minister, who's the president, 
important roles, though they are important leadership roles that have a profound effect on our society, what is far more cumulatively more impactful is the leadership role that we all choose to take. We all have a leadership role to play in elements, in aspects of our lives and the roles we play. We all have a voice, we should use it. We all have a leadership role, we should try and perform it in the best way that we can. And I think there's been so much stunning stuff written over the years, be it plays, fiction, music. There's a wonderful quote from Charles Dickens' David Copperfield, which I like particularly. Mm. Ride on, ride on over all obstacles and finish the race you started. Wow. Yes. Yeah, that's uh, that's wonderful. Thank you for sharing that. It's, it's not one I've heard, uh, but it's definitely a powerful one. Thank you for that, Chris. And um, as we kind of come towards our closing arc of our time together, unfortunately, um, I'd like to offer you a wish, okay? I bet you don't get this asked very often as a, as a peer in the House of Lords, but I'm going to offer you a tech wish from the tech genie. What would you wish for, sir? It's incredibly kind of you to be <laughs> granting of a wish, as you say. I, I wish there were more wishes that were granted to me, <laughs> as I'm sure we all do. My wish would be this, that there could be a greater coming together with some increased urgency to understand just how technology can help as the most super tools of our time to address some of the greatest challenges that currently face us. Mm. So that is government, Whitehall, tech experts and businesses coming together for the common good, the public good to drive economic, social, psychological benefit for the betterment of Britain in a increasingly purposed, connected, hopefully collaborative international community to get on with addressing and overcoming some of the greatest issues of our time, climate, health, mobility, education, inclusive, by design, if we could all get behind that purpose, I'd be pretty happy with that. And I say in conclusion, thank you to the tech genie. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I'm going I'm to work overtime to make that, that wish come true, Chris. I think that's a really powerful one and, and a very important one as well for, uh, for many, 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 many people out there. And as we come to the full stop of our time together, um, what's the final key takeaway that you'd like to leave our kind of tech people out there leading tech and, and making that difference through technology? Two things. Firstly, thank you for everything that you do and are going to do 
in terms of enabling, empowering, assisting, augmenting humanity. Secondly, believe it. Believe just this. If you have that fundamental understanding of how inclusive technology can transform lives and transform experiences, believe that everything that you do every day makes such a difference and it is so worthwhile getting up, getting out there and getting on it. Excellent. What a great note to finish on. Listen to that tech leaders out there. Listen to what Chris has to say because he's absolutely right. So thank you for your time, Chris. It's been wonderful having you on and thank you for taking time out of your very busy diary to have this conversation. Such a pleasure. Really appreciate the invitation. Thank you very much indeed. Good luck to everybody out there. I look forward to catching up with you again in the future. Well, it's not often you get to sit down and speak to a member of the House of Lords. Me and we here at IT Labs podcast team were really honoured to host Chris. And what an interesting gentleman he is. So what were your key takeaways from the podcast? These were mine. Number one, the passion that Chris developed as a child about technology and how it then helped him immensely in his journey. And then fast forwarding a number of years, actually being in a position to help guide technology at a political level. And maybe for us parents out there, maybe some inspiration to pass on to our children, get them to see the potential good of technology and how it's not just games and entertainment, but really impactful tools for enhancing people's lives. My second key takeaway is about Chris's advice on his leadership or from his leadership to be present, to have two ears and one mouth. My dad used to say that to me and be there for people and to take your time with people. Love it. And my third and final key takeaway is about the great opportunities we have in our perfectly imperfect democracies. For leaders and aspiring leaders in the political space, see the opportunity of that space you are in and use it for good. Be the signpost, set the direction, add your voice to the conversation. Man, we are so lucky to live in a liberal democracy like this in the UK. When I reflect on it deeper, I realise how lucky many of us really are. So thank you, Chris. Thank you for sharing your story and the work you have done and are doing. You truly are an inspiration. It's great to hear someone as passionate about technology as I am and the difference it can make. The generative edge of the tech blade. I salute you for the work you do in this area, Chris. I look forward to the impact of your work to make tech enhance our lives even further. And on that note, thank you for your time, Chris. And finally, remember to subscribe to CTO Confessions podcast and IT Labs newsletter, where you get regular tech articles and invites to the IT Labs webinar series. URLs for this can be found at the bottom of this page. We are consistently creating material to create, nurture and support a community of tech leaders. And of course, if you want to know more about IT Lab services, including our Teams as a Service service, please don't hesitate to get in touch. As mentioned in the intro, please think of us like tech leaders' favourite off-the-shelf service, providing agility, high-performing teams off that shelf with a wide breadth of skill and knowledge. Well, that's all, folks. Look after each other and keep safe. Wishing you all a good day or evening, 
wherever you are in the world from all of us here at IT Labs. Live long, live well and prosper until we meet again on the next CTO Confessions podcast.